We live in a world full of deceit. And that really shouldn't surprise us since Scripture tells us that in many ways Satan is the one who guides so much of what happens in our world through temptation, through direction, through uh, his desires to destroy. And Jesus tells us that Satan is the father of lies. But I think in addition to that, we have come to a place where we reap what we sow. Scripture continuously refers to the reality of a, a people who are so wrapped up in deceit, so well-versed in lying, so driven by lying to those around them that they no longer get to, or no longer are able to, I should say, recognize a lie. And so we live in a world that's full of urban legends and conspiracy theories and all sorts of things where people are making up all sorts of stuff and we believe it. And it's an unsteady situation. It's a frightening situation in many ways because it's really hard to plot a course forward when you don't know what you're supposed to believe and what you're not. And that's really at the heart of our commandment today found in Exodus 20, verse 16, the ninth of the ten as we count them. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. God is trying to instill in Israel, and by extension instill in all his followers, us included, a, a mindset, a reality of the implications of the dangers of the consequences of a lying heart. If we are going to recover, if we are going to be able to navigate our own way through this world and what we face and what we deal with, we must become a people who are motivated by, driven by the truth. It must become a part of our mindset, our perspective, our expressions, our thoughts. And I believe within this command, we find some instruction, we find some guidance, we find some foundations upon which we can build a more truthful outlook and perspective. So let's dig into it just a little bit. Will? I want to start with with three observations about this command that, that we need to understand going in. And the first of these is that the mention of, of testimony or bearing witness is not meant to limit the command to a judicial context, but to heighten the seriousness of all deceit. In other words, when this is written, when God's communicating this, he doesn't simply mean this to be applied within you know, a, a judicial situation where you're going up and, 
and you're giving witness or you're giving testimony to some to some crime or some issue, some lawsuit. That that's not the purpose of of highlighting the, the, the idea of bearing witness or testifying. The purpose of it was is that people inherently understood, people inherently know that when you're in such a proceeding, you're supposed to tell the truth. Now, that doesn't mean people always do, but we know inherently that when you're giving testimony that's going to cost somebody their life, their 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 well-being, their their livelihood, whatever it may be, that it's very important that you give proper testimony. And so God uses that understanding. He uses that built-in notion to speak to all of our life, to speak to all of our mindset. It is, I believe, entirely proper to translate this commandment, do not lie. Don't tell an untruth, period. A second reality that we need to see and understand within this command is that the emphasis on this command is in the person being lied to. Literally, in terms of the word order and so forth, of how this plays out, it says, do not answer against your neighbor as a witness of falsehood. And so what the what the command is trying to do there is what? It's putting that neighbor first. It doesn't start with the falsehood. That's obviously an important part of it, but it starts with the neighbor. It starts with an emphasis on them. As with all the commands, as, as we move through this, we've seen that they are relational in nature. They are about our connections. They are about our, our walk. They are about our, our journey through this life. And the crimes that we commit, the crimes that are outlined here, and the, the principles behind them are embedded in the two truths. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so it's not surprising when we come to this issue of deceit that the focus then is on the neighbor. All of our relationships are affected by our ability or lack of ability to be truthful in them. If you're if we're journeying together and 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 you make a mistake or you do something wrong or I make a mistake or I do something wrong, we can generally find a way through that. We can generally find a way to work through mistakes that are made in the relationships that we have. But when the mistake is a lie or when a lie is used to cover up that mistake, that prevents the, the capacity to, to deal with it. It, it prevents the, the ability to even respond properly because you don't know what to do. You don't know how to respond. And so truthfulness is indeed at the core of our relationship with each other. It has to be. The third thing that I want to observe about this particular command is that in Deuteronomy 5.20, now, in case I mentioned this a few times, and I don't think I've ever actually pointed it out, so just let me express this here. The Ten Commandments are found a second time in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Okay, Deuteronomy, the, the word means second law. That's what Deuteronomy means. And so much of what's in 
Deuteronomy is a repetition of what you find in Exodus and Leviticus. It's a second recounting of the law in slightly different context with slightly different emphases. Okay? And so it's meant to kind of supplement and, and fill in maybe some of the gaps that um, people have in understanding the law and understanding what, what was originally expressed. And so in chapter 5, verse 20, you have a repetition of this particular law. But in the repetition of the law, the, the word for falsehood is a different word than what's used here in Exodus 20. In Exodus 20, the word simply means falsehood. Okay, don't, don't say anything that's, that's false. But the word that's used in Deuteronomy is a word that means emptiness. It's a word that means without substance. Okay. In other words, don't communicate an, an emptiness. Don't communicate a, a, a something that, that's, that's meaningless in relationship to your neighbor. Which carries with it then the, the reality that a lie can sometimes be in what's not said as much as it is in what is said. And so there is this, this explanation, this expression here, this, this further uh, communication of the truth of this statement is that it's not just in speaking a lie, it's in the nature of a relationship as a whole. So let's talk just a little bit about the types of lies that we tell. What, what would be involved in this particular um, command? What is it that... that is a part of our life that, that this command addresses. Well, the first is, is simply just the outright falsehood. This is, quite simply, you know what you're saying. It's just simply not true. It, it, it's not, uh, you don't intend to, to uh, uh, there, there's no nuance to it. There's, there's no uh, playing around with it. You're just speaking an untruth, your everyday lie, you know, the type of lie that uh, I mentioned before in, in telling my parents when I didn't bring home the, 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 the uh, grades that I received in kindergarten that were poor. I didn't bring those home to show mom and dad. Why? Because I didn't like those, mom and dad. I didn't want you to see those. It, it, it's, it's a simple expression. Of deceit. The second one is the innuendo. An innuendo is a lie that is expressed in an easily deciphered riddle. Okay. In other words, you don't come outright and lie. You you just leave enough material there that the person can kind of figure out something, and you know that that's the direction it will go. For instance, if I were to say it was a good day today, Bobby did his job. You would assume from that statement what? That that was different than what Bobby normally does. That Bobby's not a person who normally does his job. And so today was a special good day because Bobby did do his job today. You know. It's that sort of expression. It's that sort of communication where you're, you're laying out these hints that the person is supposed to, to, to bring together. And you know that they'll bring those hints together. And, and you use it this way because it, it supposedly gives you some sort of deniability. Well, I, I never said that. I, I never really communicated that Bobby was lazy. 
you're just inferring that from my statement. Well, yeah, I'm inferring that from your statement because that's the path you led me down with your statement. That is a form of lying. That is, that is a dishonesty that, that's covered. Then there's flattery. Flattery is a selfishly motivated compliment. How do you know if flattery is flattery rather than just a simple compliment? What's the goal of the person saying it? Are they trying to, to make you feel good? Are they trying to build you up? Are they trying to, to edify you? Then it's a compliment. But if they are trying to manipulate you, if they're trying to, to lead you down a certain path of, of how you might view them, or open your mind or your thought to, to other things that they want to say, then that is flattery. It is a form of deceit. It is a lie. Then there's exaggeration. Now, exaggeration can be a very effective tool to communicate truth. Sometimes we want to, we want to say things bigger than they are in order to... to hammer home the truth of something. The way we can tell the difference is, is again, the, the context is to elevate ourselves rather than highlight the truth. Stories told of a, of a minister who noticed a, a group of boys standing around a small stray dog. And the minister said, what are, what are you boys doing? And the boys replied, we're telling a lie. And he says, he says, what? They said, yeah, the one who tells the biggest lie, they get the dog. And the minister was shocked. Why? When I was your age, the shocked minister said, I never even thought about telling a lie. The boys looked crestfallen and depressed. Finally, one of them shrugged and said, well, guess he wins the dog. Exaggeration for the purpose of building ourselves up is a lie. It's a, it's a deceit. When we, we pat our numbers or our past experiences, that is creating, again, a foundation that people don't really know how to relate to you. They don't really know who you are. And then there's silence. Silence is a lie when it leaves someone believing an untruth. And this is mentioned in the biblical text in Leviticus chapter 5, verse 1. It says, When someone sins in any of these ways, if he has seen, heard, or known about something he has witnessed and did not respond to a public call to testify, he will bear his iniquity. If you know the truth, You don't speak it, and it is costing someone else their standing, their, their position, their, their well-being. That's a lie. Now, there's a difference, again, between silence that is a lie and silence that is an, an expression of discretion. Just because you're thinking something doesn't mean you need to say it. Just because you know a truth doesn't mean you necessarily have to correct somebody when they say something. This is probably one of my bigger personal faults is 
when I hear somebody say something that's just a little off, I'm going to make sure they know that it was off. That's not appropriate either. But what I'm talking about is when somebody is acting on a certain understanding, acting on a certain perspective, acting on a certain mindset, and you know the truth, and you know the truth will benefit them by how they're acting. If you remain silent, that is a lie. It's a lie to, to let people think that they're okay and they're going to heaven when Scripture says without a relationship with Jesus Christ, we all go to hell. It's a lie when we remain silent, when, when people um, think that, that certain mindsets and perspectives are, are okay to express, when in fact those mindsets and expressives are, are very hurtful, such as racism or misogyny or any of those things. To remain silent in the face of corruption is to lie. But what about what about white lies? We all know what a white lie is. A white lie is simply a lie that is told that's that's generally seen as as less serious. It's, it's not a it's not a big lie. It's a little lie. And, and these generally fall into one of three categories. Sometimes it's a uh, desire to be tactful. We don't want to hurt feelings or maybe helpful, you know, help somebody. Yeah, they're, they're, they're great at that task, even though perhaps they've never even done that task. Something along those lines. Or what we would classify simply as a, a minor lie. We're going to improve our standing, but we're not really hurting anybody else by it. We're just moving ourselves along. What about, what about those? Well, we need to understand that white lies are still wrong. And they're still wrong, number one, because you're still lying. It's still lying. It's still creating a, a reality, a, a mentality, a, a response that is not ultimately helpful. And not only is it wrong because it's still lying, but it's dangerous because it's rooted in an end justifies the means mentality. In other words, well, the result was good, so the lie was all right. And once you start down that path, all sorts of things become possibilities. As long as the end result was what I wanted, it's okay for me to do what I did. That's not walking with integrity. That's not an expression of, of Christian truthfulness. The ends don't justify the means. Ever. White lies are problematic as well because they destroy our credibility. If you're willing to, quote, save my feelings by not telling me the truth, how do I know you're going to be honest in other circumstances as well? 
Stories told of a store manager who heard his clerk tell a customer, no ma'am, we haven't had any for a while and it doesn't look like as if we're going to get any soon. And the manager came running up after the customer left and he said, or ran up to the customer and said, of course, we'll have some soon. We placed an order last week. And then the manager grabbed the clerk and drew him aside and said, never, 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 never say that we're out of anything. Say we've got it on order or it's coming. Now, what was it she wanted anyway? And the clerk said, rain. She wanted rain. Here was the manager promising rain. He was promising that he was able to order it. And why was he doing it? He was doing it because he thought he was being a salesman. He thought he was telling just a slight untruth in order to, to move the sale along, in order to please the customer, in order to keep that person happy. But he had done what? He had undermined his standing with that customer ultimately. And when we tell these white lies, when we tell these, these untruths, we are ultimately hurting our witness. So often we as Christians throw out evidence that, quote, supports the Bible. We hear some famous story. I, the, the most famous one I heard growing up was um, that NASA had proven that God had made the earth stand still and move backwards. It was a very famous story um, that I remember hearing, and it's on the Internet even. And, and basically what the story entails is that NASA was trying to, depends upon who's telling the story. Sometimes they're planting a, a satellite in space. Sometimes it's the moon shot. Sometimes it's, it's other things, and they were trying to calculate exactly how to do that, and none of their calculations were coming up right. There was always this problem. There was always It was always off just a little bit. And there just happened to be a, a, a salesman or a, a person there visiting NASA one day, and he overheard the discussion because obviously nobody in NASA knows the Bible. And uh, uh, he, the, the salesman says to him, wait a minute, wait a minute. In the Bible, it talks about how God made the earth to stand still in, in Joshua chapter 10. And so NASA puts in the calculations and so forth. And, and it's still just a little bit off. He goes, wait a minute, there was another story where Hezekiah asked the sun to move backwards. And NASA put those numbers in. And sure enough, now it worked. And, and we tell this story, why? Because it, quote, proves the Bible. Okay. Now anybody with any sense knows the story's not true. NASA does not need to know what happened in the past in terms of the earth moving or, or any of that stuff to know what's going to happen in the future. All they have to do is watch it for just a few moments and they can track it. They know what's going to happen. So it was, it's not even necessary for the calculations. But on top of that, <clears throat> there's nothing in those biblical texts that says how long those, those events lasted. So how would they know what numbers to put in? It, the whole thing is nonsense. It falls apart quite quickly. And yet, it's so well known that NASA actually has a response to it on their website. It's been spread and told so many times that NASA felt it necessary to respond to it. Now, who's going to be spreading that story? Only Christians are going to tell that story, Non-believers don't have any need to tell that story. Which means it got popular because we continue to forward it. Why did we forward it? 
because we thought it helped our case. We thought it helped our credibility. But what does it ultimately ended up doing? It undermines our credibility because when we link the truth of God's word to these lies of modern legends, and then the legends are proven to be false, people will then believe the word is false as well. So white lies can, can undermine our credibility. They're not helpful in the end. But what about what we'll call the protective lie? The protective lie is, is that lie that's told when a life is at stake. Generally, the example that's given is Nazi Germany. Nazis knock on the door of a household that's hiding Jews. And they say, are there any Jews here? What are you to do? If you say, yes, there's Jews here, those Jews will be carried away and killed. If you say, no, then you've lied. So what is it? What route do you go? Well, first of all, just let me point out that most of us will never experience such a moment. So it really is immaterial to even talk about. Because it really doesn't affect anything else we do. It really doesn't affect our life. It really doesn't affect anything. It's like the person who you're witnessing to and they say, well, what about the people who have never heard? What's, going to God, what's God going to do with those? And what's their, what's their purpose? Their purpose is to, quote, create a loophole. Well, I don't, if God's going to give those people who have never heard a way out from salvation, then maybe I get that loophole too. But it's immaterial. Why? Because they're no longer people who have never heard. They're people who have heard the message. They need to respond to what God has said. And this is what we're doing as believers so often when we talk, start talking about these things is we're creating this loophole that maybe we can skirt through with, with our dishonesty. But that in and of itself is dishonest because it really doesn't work. It really doesn't connect. And so I'll simply say this in response to the protective lie as it is. In a fallen world, it is true that sometimes we stand in a, quote, no-win situation. Sometimes the decision is between two evils. In a fallen world, that's just the reality. But in such instances, we have to determine what is the best way to honor God's command to us and follow accordingly. And we might actually come to different conclusions there. Honest conclusions that are different. Some of us might feel led to, quote, save the lie, to, to save the life, or tell the lie to save the life. Others might say that demonstrates a lack of trust in God, so I'm going to tell the truth and let God work it out. But whatever we land on, wherever we come down, it has to be driven by a sincere, truthful desire to honor God's command think that's a part of what Paul's getting at in 
Romans chapter 14. When he says, whatever we do, whether we eat, we drink, we, or whatever we say, we do it to the Lord, to please Him. So why do we tell lies? We know what a lie is. We, we, we know what are some examples within our culture, and that's not an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it's a good representative list. So why do we lie? Number one, we lie because of the example, the influence and example of Satan. As I mentioned before, John 8, 44 says that Satan is the father of lies. And so if we look back in Genesis at the temptation, I think we see there the, the, the motivation, the, the heart of really almost all, every lie we tell. The first lie that Satan communicates or, or relays is that consequences are not significant. Did God really say you would die if you eat of this fruit? He asked Adam and Eve, oh, you're not going to die. He just doesn't want you to be like him. Which leads to the second foundation that God can't be trusted. And, several, and a, a big part of that whole exchange is him undermining their trust in God. He lied to you. He doesn't want the best for you. He he, he, he's just uh, manipulating you for his purposes. And as we respond to, to life situations and so forth, at the heart of our lives is often the idea that God can't be trusted. I need to take this on myself. I need to, to mete out vengeance. Or I need to manipulate the situation. Or I need to... to, to plot the best course forward because God can't be trusted to take care of it. And this has been the case for, for most of these commands. They, they all boil down to how much do we really trust, know, and understand God? Do we believe Him when He tells us that He's there for us, that He'll provide for us? Another lie that he told Satan told there is that you're fully capable of determining your own path. That's what the whole idea of the, the knowledge of good and evil. It's not a it's not a moral equation or a moral insight that you that they would gain there. It was the commitment to developing, driving their own path, determining their own direction. And so we lie to to make others think more highly of us. We lie to protect our reputation. We, we lie to build our own kingdoms. And what we're doing with these sorts of motivations is we're following right in the footsteps of the Father of Lies. We're, we're, we're looking at His example. We're, we're following His influence and we're implementing them in our lives. So how do we deal with that? How do we pursue? How do we fight the battle of, for honesty? 
How do we win the battle for honesty? Well, I think part of it starts by refusing to develop situational rules for truthfulness. Because what we're doing when we develop these situational rules is we're placing ourselves over God's law, over God's command. We're, we're the ones who are determining it. And while we may have in, in our minds a, a, a good motivation, we, we may think that we're expressing things that or doing things that, that ultimately will have a good outcome, we are at the end of the day making ourselves the authority. And when we're the authority in positive things, guess what? It makes it all that much easier to be the authority in the negative things, so to speak. You look at Eve's reply to, to Satan there during the temptation when she says, he told us we should never neither eat nor touch of the fruit. You look back at God's instructions, he never once mentions touching it. What were they doing? They were, they were building this, this wall of protection, but in build, quote, building this wall of protection, they were making themselves the authority. And so it became all the more easy because they're now the authority to ex excuse, reject God's words. Both Jesus and James, tell us, let your yeses be yeses. Don't change your standard of truth based upon promise. You swear on a stack of Bibles. That was a big one growing up. You know, your, your word should be good that you simply say, I'll do it, it's going to be done. The only way that happens is by refusing to develop situational rules for truthfulness. Secondly, understand that the heart of honesty is the pursuit of justice. This command is, is based in a legal context for a reason. To heighten the level of truth, obviously, but a second component is that embedded in it is the, the drive for justice. And again, we all Believer and unbeliever alike, we all have a sense of justice in who we are. Sometimes it's, it's cured, sometimes it's messed up again by the fall, but we all will utter the phrase, that's not fair. Well, if that truly becomes an emphasis, if that truly becomes a highlight for us, then honesty is going to be equally important because justice can never be achieved through the expression of a lie. It will never arrive at a proper outcome if our route is driven by lies. Third, learn to speak constructively. This one goes right to the heart of the issue of the so-called white lie. I think a lot of times the reason we tell white lies is because we don't know how to tell the truth in a constructive, helpful manner. We need to learn how to develop those skills. And it's not easy. It takes work. It takes understanding the person you're talking to. It takes understanding the situation you're addressing. 
but it is an important part of our development and growth, our maturing in faith. Because when we're constructive, we are truly helping somebody, not just a, a short-term fix-it that gets us through that moment. It's a long-term resolution. We need to do, as, as Paul says, to speak the truth in love. We don't need to develop a mindset. Let me, let me just say this as a warning. When I'm talking about truthfulness and honesty, I'm not talking about bluntness and rudeness. We can speak the truth constructively. We can speak the truth in love. It just takes some work. Some thoughtfulness about what we're saying. Fourth, learn to love the truth. Learn to love, appreciate, recognize the significance of the truth in our lives and, and how it plays out and, and how it, it functions. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.10 says with every wicked deception among those and with every wicked deception among those who are perishing they perish because they did not accept the love of the truth and so be saved paul says that people are dying their lives are being ruined because they never learned to love the truth and at the heart of that is the truth that a person is not a liar because they tell lies they tell lies because they're a liar. If we love the truth, if that's embedded in us, if that's what's driving us, then that's what's going to come out of us. How do we learn to love the truth? We learn to love the truth by saturating our minds with what is good. Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any Excellence. If there's anything worthy of praise, think on, meditate on, concentrate on these things. And then we need to develop accountability with others. Paul's instructions in Ephesians 4 to put away lying and speaking but to speak the truth with our neighbors. Let our neighbors speak to us. We need to be responsive when someone stops us. We need to stop others when they're expressing gossip or slander. And we need to be open to being stopped when we're doing the same. Someone put it this way, don't allow your ears to be someone else's trash can. And then finally, we need to come to the truth. We need to be honest with ourselves and with God about our standing, about our situation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not that he tells the truth, although he did, but he is the 
true. And to have a relationship with Him, to, to enter into a, a, a connection with Him, a journey with Him, is to begin the discovery of what truth is and how it might be expressed and, and all these other things that, that are these steps to, to winning the battle with honest, uh, of honesty grow out of a connection with Him. You'll never know the truth. I'll never know the truth if we don't know Him. Don't let the father of lies, don't let Satan today deceive you into thinking that there's another path, that there's another route. Don't let him convince you that there's a, there's a way that's better. Don't let him convince you that, that God really doesn't want the best for you. Listen to the truth. Jesus came to give you life, to give you abundant life, and in doing so, he died so that you might experience that life. No one's going to love you more deeply than he does. Because no one's going to love you as deeply, or know you as deeply as he does. And to realize that he knows your thoughts, he knows your attitudes, he knows your failings and your failures, and he still loves you is to realize just how deep that love is. Our journey to truthfulness begins continues and ends with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, come this morning and we are thankful for the fact that you are the truth, that you tell us the truth, that we can build our lives around what you have communicated to us. Lord, we pray that you help us to to deal with our doubts and our fears and the lies that we've told ourselves that the world has told us to see our future and our purpose and our direction in you, Lord. Please draw us in your power. God, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who does not have a relationship with you, that you would speak to their hearts and to their minds and help them to to see just how significant, how important that is and help them to reach out and to pursue that future, pursue that hope, pursue that salvation. Lord, I pray that you be with me. Help my heart, my mind, my mouth to always to reflect the truth. I pray the same for my brothers and sisters here this morning. May we live lives of integrity that communicate you. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.